What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. I, I was assuming that you were going to do an acid bath song. I had a lot of different thoughts on the subject, and ultimately I decided to go just one step further removed. Are we all of just about the right age to have heard a whole lot about acid rain in school when we were kids? I ah. think we are. Yeah, I definitely am. And that's what we're going to be talking about water acidification today. And not just acid rain, but water acidification in general. What does that mean? Uh, what First of all, what does the term mean? Second, what does that mean to our planet? Mm-hmm. And third, is there anything we can do about it? Uh, so yeah, when I was growing up, Acid rain was like one of those buzzwords that I remember hearing frequently. Let me let me tell you what it was like growing up in the in the early to mid eighties. So uh acid rain, big concern, probably second only to communism. <laughs> it sounds like I'm making a joke, but I'm really not. I, yeah, no, I, I, I was there. I remember. Yeah. As a kid, it was weird getting this because I didn't know what communism was as a kid. I just knew it was supposedly awful. But you knew what acid was. And, it's that big vat of stuff that the bad guy hangs Batman over on a rope before right. Batman escapes. Pretty, yeah. Pretty much. That's it's very close to what my conception was of the of the idea of what acid was and therefore what acid rain must be and this is this is despite the fact that all of us kind of grew up i mean it's certainly like the 70s through the 90s were a golden age of very weird very 
earnest outreach to children mm-hmm. about environmental issues. Outreach right. is a cute word. Because uh, we kids had so much power over the massive amounts of pollution being poured into our environment. Uh, we, we, we mentioned Fern Gully in the last episode. We did. Uh, the, the amazing. In the last episode? We well, mentioned in, it recently. Yeah. One of the, in a couple of the last episodes. At any rate, yeah, yeah. Fer, Fern Gully, the last rainforest. Uh, there was also Captain Planet, which mm-hmm. was pretty amazing um of course of course uh dr seuss's lorax and david the gnome and like the final fantasy series and the work that miyazaki was doing over in japan that wouldn't make it over here for another few years but was still part of the au revoir of the time yeah. um, you know like I, a nasca of the valley of wind i feel like in this list you're kind of mixing together some things that are like wonderful pieces of art with environmental themes and then just pure propaganda <laughs> <laughs> well to be fair it was all part of the spectrum that was coming out towards us kids. I got to tell you, it did convince me to shut down my coal gas firing plant yeah. uh, that I was using oh, in order to, to really run my He-Man uh, toys. You know what it did convince me to do was not to build coal plants in SimCity. It had an effect on that. Really? So, so well, your simulated environment was aces. Well, right. go planet, go planet, indeed. <laughs> so, uh, so okay. So, so, all of these media were really good at convincing us that the Earth was in terrible trouble, possibly even our own sim sim Earth. But maybe they weren't as good at explaining what any of these things actually were. It, it's possible that either they were poorly. Uh, written attempts to explain this like it was getting across the fact that this was these were important issues but as a kid i was not absorbing the actual information of what this stuff meant i was misinterpreting it uh, in my mind acid rain if it were to actually be a thing that happened in my neighborhood it would mean that were i to get caught out in it i would melt away like the wicked witch of the west or like the uh, nazis at the end of raiders of the lost that ark that would be another example yeah, and also raiders of the lost ark played a very important role in my childhood so that definitely was one of the images going through my mind whenever i heard the 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 phrase acid rain i figured it it literally meant it must be raining acid um well you could argue yeah but acid is a is a, a, a term that children don't quite understand the right way. Well, and adults it's a don't very necessarily understand it either. Broad term yeah, as well. Acidic right. things are many things. Yes, they have a pH lower than seven point Yes, essentially that means that it's acidic. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's acidic to the point where it could uh, react with something like your skin. But as a child, uh, that subtlety was lost on me. As an adult, I understand it a little bit better. So. Uh, here's the thing. Yeah, it wasn't like this rain was going to melt the flesh off of my bones and I was going to be standing there as a skeleton for a second before collapsing into a little pile. <laughs> but we also shouldn't just sit here and mock the past for being concerned about it because acid rain is something that's actually worth being concerned about. Absolutely. And so we're going to spend the first little bit about this uh, in this podcast talking about acid rain and then we will transition to talk about Ocean acidification. The different two, issue. Two are different. Yes. Uh, although certainly related. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the sense that you don't want either to happen. Uh, so, <laughs> so the EPA defines acid rain as quote a broad term referring to a mixture of wet and dry deposition, which means deposited material mm-hmm. from the atmosphere containing higher than normal amounts of nitric and sulfuric acids. So this would be acid, you know, rain that actually contains nitric acid and sulfuric acid, not again at a concentration or intensity strong enough to do physical harm to your skin, but it could still harm you in the long term. Uh, it's a little different from uh, ocean acidification. Ocean acidification really is the accumulation of hydrogen ions as a result of this uh, absorption of carbon dioxide. We'll get into that in a little bit. So. Acid rain can actually come from natural sources, right? It's not just man-made. If there's a volcanic eruption, that can end up uh, injecting quite a bit of uh, uh, nitric acid and sulfuric acid into the atmosphere, which where it can then be uh, uh, absorbed in precipitation and then rain down upon the, the surrounding countryside, even yeah. miles or hundreds of miles away from where the eruption happened. I was curious to see well, what's what's the worst acid rain we've ever had on Earth. And I found a, an interesting article on Smithsonian.com from January 2015 talking about the acid rain that 
probably fell during the Great Dying, also known as the Permian Tri- Triassic Extinction Event. This also, was the, also known as the next Game of Thrones novel. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> this was the worst extinction event in or every Game of Thrones novel. Fair enough. For some reason, I almost just said in human history, not in human history, in the history of the Earth, sure. of life on Earth. Uh, nine out of every ten species, or actually more than nine out of every ten species on Earth, completely wiped out. Which is... It was, it, it's so hard for us to even even fathom that today, right? Yeah. The idea well, that we're working towards it. Well, I mean, hopefully we'll never have to actually yes. witness yes. 90 more than 90% of all life forms being wiped off the planet. Yeah. But uh, you know, when we think of extinctions, most of the extinctions that we're aware of are tiny on a scale compared to this particular one. Yeah, Absolutely. this thing was horrible. Life on Earth could very well have been completely snuffed out for mm-hmm. all we know. And uh, maybe as far as we know, we barely scraped by. Not we as in humans, but we as in our distant ancestors. Yes. Um, so what caused it? Scientists are still debating this, but uh, the usual suspects are called up. There's massive volcanic eruptions usually centered around these uh, the Siberian traps, these Siberian eruptions that uh, seemed to happen at a particularly bad time to affect the Earth's uh, atmospheric composition. Mm-hmm. And then there is also hypothesized space impacts and maybe uh, bacterial or microbial uh, blooms that change the composition of the atmosphere. There are a lot of different hypotheses. But one uh, – anyway, the, the article I mentioned talks about a few lines of research pointing to the theory that this – Volcanic eruption that's been hypothesized as one of the major causes of the extinction event led to extreme widespread acid rain. And so according to to several findings, the carbon dioxide emitted by the Siberian volcanism would have lowered the pH of the rain to about four. Wow. Uh, which is they they compare that in the article to the acidity of tomato juice. I mean, it's not acidic enough to burn your skin off, but that's really acidic yeah, for rain. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then add on top of that the acidifying effects of sulfur dioxide from the uh, volcanic eruptions. And the northern hemisphere, they say, may have been uh, seeing pulses of weather events with rain that's as acidic as lemon juice. Wow. Lemon juice is nice to squirt over your fish and chips. It is not nice to squirt over your land masses and oceans. Right. And uh, I should point out, of course, the acid rain that we heard about in the you know 80s and 90s, uh, that was clearly acid rain that was caused by, by human activity. That yeah. was the sort of stuff we were being warned about, like uh, stop right. this stuff because yeah. it's killing our planet. Yeah, yeah the bad the, guys on Captain Planet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the Industrial Revolution, um, your coal-burning factory, right. I, Jonathan. I, I, boy, is my face red. May I add a fact that the main thing I remember being told as a kid about acid rain was that it would discolor our statues and natu- national monuments? Which it, it would. <laughs> so that is one thing it would do. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, that th- just seems like a weird thing to emphasize. Yeah. yeah. Well, to, to be fair, it's the one thing that stayed with you. It's not necessarily the one thing that was stressed above That's all others. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> You know, the, the, the human made acid rain, that comes from emissions of nitrogen oxides and sulfur dioxide, uh, both of which are byproducts of fossil fuel combustion. So as we depend upon fossil fuels, as we burn those fossil fuels, we release these sorts of gases into the atmosphere where they can end up, uh, becoming acid rain. There can be some chemical, uh, uh, processes that then converted into nitric acid and sulfuric acid and mixed with uh, precipitation. Uh, most of the sulfur dioxide emissions and about a quarter of the nitrogen oxide emissions are the result of power plants burning coal to produce electricity. So, again, my little coal firing plant was a really bad option. I should have gone solar. Mm-hmm. Uh, He-Man would have told me that if I paid attention at the last 30 seconds of every episode where the little educational PSA would come into play. But I always turned it off at that point because I wasn't there to learn things, darn it. Oh, man. What I were the, pow- the educational PSAs. <laughs> what were the power plant options in SimCity before SimCity 2000? Was it just coal and nuclear? Was that about it? I think giant hamsters were also. Uh, I think just, it was just coal and nuclear. Uh, at any rate, so when those emissions are released in the atmosphere, the components react chemically with other stuff like water, oxygen, other airborne chemicals that are already up there. And that creates that mild sulfuric acid and nitric acid. 
And so you mentioned, I mentioned wet and dry deposition. Acid rain is wet deposition. It means yeah. that you're actually depositing this acid through rain. Uh, other types include fog and snow. Ooh, acid fog. Yeah, acid fog, as, which I'm pretty sure would just – that should be the sequel to the John Carpenter movie, you know, The the Fog. The Fog too. Um, acid fog. Exactly. Then everyone just is tripping out as the fog is coming in. Oh, my goodness. Be that kind. So then uh, uh, sulfuric and nitric, nitric acid mixed with wet weather fall to the ground during rainstorms. And this acid rain can damage plants and animals and change the acidity levels in bodies of water like streams, lakes, and ponds. The actual effects of acid rain depend on lots of different factors. So you can't give like a blanket statement that says – Here's how it's going to affect this region. There are a lot of things that will determine that, such as what is the acidity level? How bad, how concentrated is the acid in the rain itself? What is the buffering capacity of the soil to handle acidic water? Some soils can absorb it and hold on to it uh, more effectively than others. Some it's going to run off right into whatever water uh, bodies of water are nearby. Um, things like marshes and stuff, you have a lot of very delicate types of animals and plants that can be very dramatically affected by changes in acidity levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, things like, you know, we often think of uh, frogs as an early indicator species. That's one of the ones that we would be looking at in areas around uh, where acid rain is happening because they tend to be pretty sensitive to those kind of changes. Uh, then you also uh, have to take into account, like there might be some species of uh, plants and animals in certain areas that are a little more hardy. They they can they can handle bigger changes in acidity levels without it dramatically affecting their health. In those cases, you might not even be aware that acid rain is a factor uh, because you're not seeing the the uh, consequences. Right. At least not right away. Right. So uh, it, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing by any stretch of the imagination. And as Joe was pointing out earlier, the the message he took home. From all of this acid rain talk when he was a kid, it can cause damage to man-made structures, including ones that are irreplaceable. No. Yeah, like those statues, you know, yeah. like ancient statues or monuments, that kind of thing where, you know. I think the specific example I remember was something about the, uh, the uh, what's it called? Mount Rushmore. I was going to say, was it Mount Rushmore? Because I feel like that was a big thing that like was impressed upon me as a child. It's still a big thing. I mean, as those big, heads well, are enormous. I'm t- I'm sorry. Can you cl- can you no, actually climb out their nose holes? Is that for real? I can't. I'm pretty sure you cannot. I can't. I I, I have I, you know I have never been to Mount Rushmore. It's one it's still Me on my neither. list. But uh, and I guess I need to get there before the acid rain hits because yeah. according to you guys, it's they're, they're, those heads are living on borrowed time. According to my memory of my childhood, it may very well be that they're completely safe. I'm just considering it infallible at this point. So, uh, also the acid rain can cause direct harm to our health. I mean, we're joking about this largely because it's a defense mechanism. At some point, you know, you've got to you've got to be able to lighten up things, uh, but it really can cause harm to us. Now, the acidity, as we said, isn't enough to harm you directly through your skin. So you're not going to be walking out there and rain starts to fall and you you see like little plumes of smoke where it's hitting your skin and you can feel it bubbling. That's not happening. No, no. Even drinking it isn't really going to do you any harm. Yeah. It turns out uh, you got acid in your stomach. Weird. And it's pretty strong. Um, way stronger than the acidity levels in the, the in acid rain. So yeah, I mean, if you already drink Coca Cola, that's fairly acidic, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot lemon juice, like you said before, very acidic, and we can ingest that without problems. I mean, most of us, some of us get a sensitivity to it, and after a little while, your mouth might start to hurt. But that's that's kind of the extent of it. But breathing in those acids when they're in the atmosphere, that is a problem, uh-huh. and that can lead to long term health complications, uh, everything from asthma to bronchitis to even heart disorders. So it's serious stuff. Uh, obviously, the biggest solution to this problem is to find other methods of generating uh, power and other and all the other fossil fuel uses that we have, getting off fossil fuels and using something else. That's the big solution to uh, acid rain. It's You've got to look at what is causing the acid rain. Can you affect what that is? 
because otherwise all you're doing is treating symptoms, right? And oh, that, sure. That's that's a losing game in the long run. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm all for treating some symptoms if it could, you know, help us not get asthma and yeah, bronchitis is often. Absolutely. That, that would be pretty great. Absolutely. But, you know, in, the, in the short term, in the acute sense, mm-hmm. absolutely. But if you want to, to solve things for uh, the longer term, right. you've got to you've got to address the fossil fuel problem. Now, the other issue that we're going to talk about today, the different but I guess related issue in that it also deals with pollution and acidity is ocean acidification. Yeah. And by acidity in this sense, we're not saying that the oceans themselves are turning acidic. Correct. That, but they are. Well, you could say well, they're becoming more acidic, even though they are not acidic. Right. They they themselves aren't on the acid end of the pH scale. No, right? the ocean is so basic. It's it's pretty basic. I mean, it's big, it's wet, covers most of the planet. How more, much more basic can you get? Uh, what it, no, again, to explain the pH, so we say a 7 is neutral, right. the scale goes from 0 to 14, anything above a 7 is a base, below a 7 is an acid, and the ocean is what, it's like 7 point something? Yeah, it's 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 above 7, it's in, on the basics, slightly, slightly basic scale. It's between 7 and 8, and it's closer to 7 than 8. Uh, but uh, when we talk about ocean acidification, we talk about that number going down slightly. So it's still on the basic end of the spectrum, but it's lower than what it would naturally be otherwise. Uh, so uh, according to Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, uh, I'll just call it Woods Hole because when I say oceanographic, it sounds like I'm having some sort of uh, episode. I'm having issues with talking today. Oceanographic, what's the big deal? I don't know what the big deal is, Joe. I just... For some reason today, that word is just tripping me up. But at any rate, it's a multi uh, – uh, they say that studying ocean acidification involves a multidisciplinary field of research. And it includes, quote, counterintuitive, end quote, aspects such as carbonate chemistry. Carbonate as in C-A-R-B-O-N-A-T-E, carbonate. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little – they say counterintuitive because once you start looking into this – it sounds like the opposite thing is happening from what you would expect. And because of that, it makes it particularly difficult to educate people and also to get across to the media the subtleties of what ocean acidification is all about. And uh, and I fully appreciate that. So we're going to try our best to be as accurate as we possibly can. But keep in mind, this is complicated stuff. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, the issue is that Earth's oceans are are big, uh, like really big yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there's more ocean than truck. There's more ocean than truck. And uh, and like trucks, oceans have a lot of moving parts, like, like literally every molecule of water that makes up all of the oceans is probably moving right now. I don't want to freak you guys out. Don't think about it too hard. Uh, and every single one of those molecules is interconnected. And there's like a lot of fish and stuff. So Interconnected. Now, you don't mean in a Deepak Chopra kind of sense. You mean in like a fluid dynamics sense. In a fluid dynamics sense. More right. so, yes. Right. If you were to push against some of those molecules, they would push against other molecules that would push against other molecules and so on and so forth. Uh, and a butterfly would flap its wings and then you would get acid rain outside of my house. Uh, that's the way I understand it. At any rate, I uh, hate those fossil fuel burning butterflies. They are the worst. They are so loud, too. I got to tell you. Okay, but what what actually is ocean acidification? We sort of explained it, but it's it's the ocean's pH becoming lower, not necessarily being an acid, but becoming more relatively acidic. Mm -hmm. Right. uh, Compared to what it was before. Exactly. And it's primarily caused by carbon dioxide dissolving into seawater. So now, now you may have actually heard. I bet you've heard people who are uh, trying to say, "Oh, you know, global warming, climate change. It's no big deal uh, because the oceans will absorb the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere." Well, that's true. Yeah, it's not yeah. partially. It's partially true in that the oceans will, as long as the carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere goes up, and it it goes up higher than what the ratio between water and atmosphere typically is, then the water compensates by absorbing some of that CO2. Now, it's not true that that means climate change is no big deal. It also is not true that that, that means that, hey, we're OK, because if the carbon dioxide goes into the ocean, who cares, right? Because 
it turns out that's Oceans a big, matter big problem. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, so what's going on with this with this equilibrium thing here is that uh, when there's less carbon dioxide in the surface of the ocean than there is in the lower atmosphere, the the physical system that is that air and water is out of equilibrium. So so the water is going to try to absorb some of the carbon dioxide to even things out, and it doesn't happen instantaneously. Uh, according to the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It takes about a year for the system to reach equilibrium every time there is an increase in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which has been happening more or less constantly as far as we can track it Mm -hmm. back for decades and decades. Mm -hmm. Uh, On a molecular level, what's going on here is that the, the, the carbon dioxide in the water react to form carbonic acid, which is a type of molecule that can lose protons which acidifies the water, d- decreasing the pH, as we've been talking right. about. Protons being hydrogen ions, yeah. right? Yeah. Because uh, you get a hydrogen, you lose the uh, the electron, you've got a proton, that's a hydrogen ion. And that's that's essentially what we talk about. Whenever you're talking about a sit, uh, you know, something becoming more acidic, you're really talking about an accumulation of hydrogen ions on a very simple chemical level. I almost said basic, but that would have been so misleading. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and the ocean absorbs about a quarter of all the carbon dioxide we release into the atmosphere each great, year. Great, great. Well, <laughs> in some senses, like if it didn't do that, then the rate of climate change we are observing would go even faster. Yeah. Uh, however, the trade-off is we have this increase in uh, the acidification of the oceans. And as it turns out, that is pretty bad. So one one thing we can say is that while climate change and ocean acidification are not the same thing, they both have they both share one common cause. Uh, keeping in mind there are a lot of different causes that are at play, but of carbon dioxide, yeah, of yeah. both. But carbon dioxide is like a big player in both, mm-hmm. and so the emissions of carbon dioxide have an impact on climate change as well as ocean acidification. Now, one thing we should probably point out is even though uh, we are tracking a trend where the oceans are becoming more acidic, it will probably never dip below the neutral pH and become an acid. No, it will not do that because other uh, other chemical uh, components that are in the ocean will end up neutralizing acids. It will never get to the point where it goes below 7 on the pH scale. It's never going to actually become an acid. The acidification is really talking about the trend of that pH getting lower. But uh, essentially, every research uh, that I read, every single paper I read said it is, for all intents and purposes, impossible for the oceans to become acidic. Right. To, to actually turn on to the acid level of that pH scale. Well, come on. It's impossible with that kind of attitude. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> if we're really determined and we really mess things up, we can make it happen. But I really don't think we want to find out. Uh, <laughs> no, no. And and those small changes, though, are, um, are, are perhaps surprisingly impactful. And we'll get into that a little bit later yeah. on. Uh, but but yeah, so, so there are. We were talking about some of the some of the other factors that go into this carbon transfer, this carbon dioxide transfer. Right. And as it turns out, it's it's not even as simple as more carbon dioxide goes into the atmosphere. Therefore, more uh, carbon dioxide gets absorbed by the oceans. It's never as simple as that. We often will try and talk in those terms to kind of boil down a concept so it's easily uh, digestible. But this is part of the reason why Woods Hole was saying, guys, this is complicated. Don't oversimplify the issue because then you're really misleading uh, the public. So the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere drives acidification overall. So generally speaking, as those carbon dioxide levels increase in the atmosphere, the acidification process increases. But other factors mitigate how much carbon dioxide the ocean can actually absorb. So one of those factors is the ocean water temperature. Right. Uh, if ocean water warms, however it might warm, let's say through climate change. Right. That's a big one, right? Then the warming effect actually reduces the speed at which the ocean will absorb carbon dioxide. And therefore, the rate of acidification will decrease. But it doesn't stop. It just slows down a little. Well, that's great. Let's uh, Let's continue global warming <laughs> while decreasing... Carbon emissions, and eventually it'll all just work itself out. Yeah, I, I, I didn't work up a whole bunch of notes on why climate change is bad. I didn't anticipate needing them. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, this obviously you don't you don't want the planet to warm right. up because of all the implications of climate change where, you know, and of course, we're, when we say global warming, we're oversimplifying. Uh, really, when when you're talking climate change, some regions are going to right, experience right, overall course. cooling, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Point is, that's we don't want that and we don't want ocean acidification. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, if you think that that, hey, wait, wait, wait. What about the ice caps, right? Like, what about icebergs and 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 glaciers and sheets of ice? If those melt, those are fresh water, right? If those melt, and then doesn't that dilute the ocean? Won't that dilute the acid or the acidification, and thus slow down, or maybe maybe even reverse acidification? And the answer to that is nope, or at least not <laughs> oh, in the long term. That does seem kind of intuitive, but yeah, why why not? Because uh, once the water does start to dilute that concentration of carbon dioxide in the oceans, mm -hmm. you still have the imbalance in the atmosphere, which means all you've really done is is increase the ocean's capacity for absorbing CO2 in that particular region. And that's what it'll do. So if you think about it, it's kind of like, um, oh, what would be a good analogy? I'm trying to think of like if you had like a paper towel and you soaked up a little water and you had just a little little corner of your paper towel and it was still dry. So you're thinking, all right, well, uh, if I pour a little bit more water on there, it's going to absorb everything. That's as, that's as much as it can go. Everything's cool. But then you pick up the paper towel and you wring it out and you put it back down. Now it has the capacity to soak up even more water. It's that's sort of what's happening with the ocean. It gets diluted. It's like wringing out that paper towel. Uh, really, you've just You've just in the in, except instead of getting rid of the carbon dioxide, you really just diluted it. Now you have the capacity to take on even more. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, once you've reached that level of equilibrium between the atmosphere and the ocean again, you're right back to where you started from with the added uh, benefit of not having those pesky giant sheets of ice anymore. So that's a bad thing because the polar bears will have no place to live. Well, polar bears, that, that, speaking of fauna, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we should be thinking about is what effect does ocean acidification have? Because uh, one, one of the most obvious things to be concerned about is, well, if the ocean's chemical nature is changing slightly, how does this affect the creatures that dwell in the ocean? And uh, And as it turns out, just like the other elements that we've talked about in this case, it is incredibly complicated. It is not so simple as to say all species, you know, ocean dwelling species are equally affected through the process of acidification. Right. Well, for one thing, um, I've read that you might be able to look at ocean acidification and say, well, it looks like this might have a beneficial effect to photosynthesizing animals that oh, live wow. in the oceans. Right. Though that's not necessarily so good for the rest of the planet. Right. Uh, right. Right. Because since it's an ecosystem, not a eco there is no I in ecosystem. Right. <laughs> um, no, there is, but there is an ME. Yeah. <laughs> Not in order. No. But um, no, you you, you so, make a good point. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it's uh, overall, if uh, if if the the plants, the, the the photosynthesizing stuff that lives in the ocean, um, has a chance to overgrow, then it's going to set off the balance of a lot of other things that are either competing for the resources or or in other in some other way need to hang out at a certain level. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I don't know if it would lead to this this thing in particular, but one comparison point I have is the idea of algal blooms in the ocean leading to oceanic dead zones. Or if you have uh, you you basically you create regions of the ocean that are too friendly to explosive algae populations, mm -hmm. and then they make that water uninhabitable. Yeah. Yeah. There's some uh, species that like you were saying, Lauren, are, are competing for the exact same resources. Mm -hmm. And if the chemistry of the ocean ends up favoring one over the other, the danger is to the other, right? That the other could suffer, perhaps even die out. And in some cases, 
that could be absolutely catastrophic. The the one of the examples that that goes right into what you're both talking about is coral, mm-hmm. the actual yeah, organisms yeah. of coral. Yeah, or any actually, I think it's any mineral forming or cal- calcium based mineral forming organisms yes. uh, organisms in the ocean. Yeah, right. All the all the ones that have calcium based shells, those yeah. are also aff- affected by ocean acidification. Have you did you guys see the pictures? Of like the the sea snails. Yes. Yeah, I think you're referring to the pteropods, right? I might the be. Pteropods. Yeah, yeah. I remember specifically seeing a se- sequence of pictures of this snail, and it showed what the sh- what happens to the shell over a the course of time in uh, one of these environments. Yes. Uh, so they they simulate this this water environment with the decreased pH that is uh, that was matched up to what it was predicted to be within 100 years right. in the oceans if trends continue and the shell does not do well. No, it, you start to see it like it becomes translucent and then should transparent I, and then Should I gone. look at this? Is this going to make me really upset about It made some me sea really upset. Oh. I got very upset when I saw it cuz I wasn't expecting that when I I was doing my research. Well, I mean, it it was just very to see just to see like the actual uh, uh, sequence that that this represents and thinking, all right, well, now this is no longer uh, this kind of just vague idea that I have in my head. Now I'm seeing actual results of what happens. Uh, That is incredibly impactful. And you sit, especially if you are one of those people who really likes um, marine biology or you have an interest in things like the ocean. I mean, I, I, I love going to the ocean. I love snorkeling. I love exploring. And to think of those environments being put in danger. Uh, I mean, obviously I have a greater appreciation for what that means to, uh, on a larger scale, ecosystem wide and, and planet wide ultimately, but also on just a personal scale of my own experience of interacting in these environments. It's a pretty powerful thing. Uh, uh, but I guess we should look at beyond the specifics of which organisms would be affected in what ways, because mm-hmm. really that's one of those things that we don't entirely know yet. Right. Mm-hmm. We 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 we're, we're just we sort of go species by species speculating yeah. here based on what seems like will probably happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we could look at a kind of general approach to what's going to happen to species overall. Like, what are their strategies for coping with this? Yeah, there are three general responses, right? There is acclimation, adaptation, and extinction. I think Ex- we know extinction. Extinction yeah. probably that works. Extinction's not a great strategy. It uh it well, kind of kind of stinks if that's the one you choose. Well, it's not it's not it's not usually the first choice, no, I don't think. No. no. Uh acclimation essentially uh, and adaptation are, are are similar but not exactly the same, but both of them require uh the the organisms to be able to to survive and potentially thrive in the changing environment. So animals that have long lifespans are the least able to adapt to new conditions, which makes sense, right? The longer the lifespan, uh, then you've got these very long generational periods uh, between generations. That means that you have fewer opportunities for new generations to, uh, to, uh, to succeed in a changing environment. Right. So if the environment you, just, you get fewer mutants to work with. Pretty yeah, pretty much. Yeah, if the environment is changing faster than the mutations can occur, then it's a losing battle for that particular species in the in general. Uh so the ones that that tend to have shorter lifespans tend to be better able to adapt to conditions. That's not a rule across the board. Some organisms can get left behind even if they have short lifespans. Coral was that example I gave earlier. They, mm-hmm. Coral has pretty short lifespan. But if you have another species there that is competing for the exact same sort of stuff that your species is competing for, and they're better at adapting to that environment than your species is, you still can come out behind and you can still lose out and still face extinction uh, in the long run. And that's sort of the case that people are talking about with coral. Um, like that, you know, it won't be able to outcompete those types of algae. And more, more than that, ecosystems are incredibly complex, right? And we cannot anticipate what will happen to an ecosystem, even if you were to remove just one type of species from that ecosystem, 
it's very difficult to predict how that would play out across the entire ecosystem. Yeah. In in, in general, uh, biologists have identified a bunch of keystone species mm-hmm. that um, that are the most important to keeping the whole thing running. But 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 every every cog is important. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, every time you lose a species, you have a decrease in biodiversity. We've talked about biodiversity in previous episodes of Forward Thinking. In general, when you see biodiversity decrease, that is a bad thing. Uh, species like coral, again, very important to to uh, to certain ecosystems, right? You have the coral reefs. If those were to no longer be a thing, if they were, if the organisms were not there to build coral reefs, and those were to break down over time, those entire ecosystems would completely transform, and we would likely see many species suffer as a result. Some might benefit. Because they might be preying on all the ones that no longer have a home. But that doesn't last very long. That lasts for essentially a generation or two. And then after that, you've got the problem of, hey, that plentiful food source that we were so happy about just a couple of generations ago is gone. Now what happens? So it becomes this crazy domino effect. And that's why I said something that even is potentially fairly localized can become a global issue due to this complex interlocking nature of ecosystems. Um, and that means we could see massive shortages in lots of different ocean resources. Uh, so it could, it could have an actual financial impact as well as a food source impact to us as humans. You know, we could see a decrease in fisheries and lots of other uh, important elements to our economy and to where we get our food. Uh, I mean, I'm not eating shrimp anymore, but that doesn't mean I don't <laughs> think anyone else should be able to get it. They should be able to get it. Um, and it would also have a big impact on the carbon cycle. So coral creates calcified minerals, and they kind of lock carbon away. When when coral ends up breaking off and crumbling and landing onto the ocean floor, it's essentially locked in carbon into the, the, the actual uh, material there. And, and so... If coral's gone, then that one that that way of locking away carbon is also gone. So now you have one fewer way to lock up carbon, and potentially that could create a, you know it could exacerbate a problem, right? You get even more carbon being released into the environment. That's what started this issue in the first place. That's a bad thing. So uh, how bad are we talking about? Well, according to the research I was reading, it looks like the pH of the ocean surface has decreased by 0.1 pH unit since pre-industrial times, which doesn't sound like a whole lot. So what's the big deal, right? Well, wait a minute. Isn't the pH scale logarithmic? Well, there's that. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Part of it is also that the 0.1 pH unit indicates that hydrogen ion levels – those protons we were talking about, have increased by 26%. And projections predict that the pH will continue to drop somewhere between 0.3 and 0.4 pH units by the end of the 21st century, which would mean a 100 to 150% increase in hydrogen ion concentration. That That is a dramatic enough change where the, the, the safety of many different species is called into question. We honestly do not know how many of those species would be able to adapt to such a dramatic change in ocean chemistry or which ones would not be able to adapt and which ones are the most at risk for us to lose. Um, So it's, again, complicated. Uh, Yeah, and unfortunately, the ocean is a lot harder to study than the atmosphere. The the data that we've been collecting so far has not added up to a, a smooth trend like decade over decade that's in direct correlation with climate change. And researchers aren't entirely sure what's driving this variability. Mm-hmm. So without knowing what's really going on, um, it's harder to to either help alleviate the problem or or to even to even figure out where it's going to go. Right. And then adding to this complicated nature of the issue, you know, Marine ecosystems are are part of what affects how the ocean absorbs carbon dioxide. So mm. as acidification changes these ecosystems, the problem could get better or worse. 
Uh, Noah knows. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is one of those things where, first of all, the ocean acidification research is a relatively young science. Uh, really very detailed work has been going on for about a decade. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, the reason why we know information about, like, how can we say since the pre-industrialized era? After all, you just said the research has only been going on a decade. We can say that because of ice. We can look right. at ice and we can see what the water acidification was in uh, and sheets of ice that were around in the pre-industrial era and then compare it to what we see today. Yeah. Uh, and, and and those efforts, um, I mean, there, there are absolutely organizations that are working to study the issue and, and figure out how to best apply any potential forthcoming solutions, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, uh, for, for example, here in the United States, the Pacific Marine Environmental Laboratory helps conduct hydrographic cruises, science cruises. There's no tiki drinks involved probably on these cruises. No, they, uh, they send ships out that are uh, equipped to take measurements about how different parts of the oceans vary and how different marine environments in them contribute to, to this carbon cycle. Mm. Uh, they also employ a fleet of volunteer observation ships and also another fleet of moored buoys that, uh, that that can monitor carbon dioxide levels and temperatures and salinity and all that kind of stuff. So cool. So so we're working towards it. Um, yeah. But but some of those solutions are are there solutions to this problem? Well, I mean, one one big one would be to cut carbon dioxide emissions as much as we possibly can, because, again, if uh, if the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere are lower, then you start to you decrease that pressure where carbon dioxide ends up being absorbed into the surface of the ocean. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument that we live in some strange alternate universe where people don't want to do that. <laughs> Are there other options that could potentially be available to well, us? There's some band-aids where we could we could uh, alleviate the symptoms, but it, it, would, it would again, it would be like treating the symptoms, but not the disease. Yeah. So you would still have the overall problem. Uh, geoengineering, uh, it, people have talked about potentially using geoengineering tactics in order to lock up carbon, to, to take carbon dioxide either out of emissions and lock it up in some way or to actually find ways of pulling it from the atmosphere itself and locking it up. Uh, that's important. It would definitely help the acute problem. But as long as we're continuing to produce carbon dioxide, it's not a long term solution. It's really, again, it's it's too reactionary. It's kind of like when we talk about healthcare, and we talk about treating an acute uh, disease and not doing preventative care where you don't get sick in the first place. It's very similar to that. Um there's also there have been some people who say, well, what if we were to add some sort of carbon neutralizer or even hydrogen neutralizer into the oceans? Like essentially, uh, you know, the the equivalent of antacids and <laughs> just dump a bunch of that in the ocean to soak that stuff up. Well, the biggest problem there is that you have to add an equivalent amount of the neutralizer as the carbon dioxide that's actually going into the ocean in the first place. And that's like a that's that's not a little bit. No, that's not. That's that's literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of tons of material. And one, uh, that could have a really serious effect on ocean ecosystems too. But two, to generate those neutralizers, to get that stuff would involve mining, it would involve manufacturing processes, it would involve a lot of stuff that, guess what, emits a lot of carbon. Yeah. So you're making the problem worse while trying to treat the symptom. Uh, not a great solution either. Um, but here's here's hoping that at least the awareness of the problem, the fact that we have this this growing uh, discipline of science that's really looking into it, and we have multiple uh, avenues where people are paying more attention to carbon emissions uh, and and trying to find ways of reducing that, both in developed nations and industrializing nations, which is particularly difficult. Because remember. United States, the United Kingdom, a lot of other developed nations, we went through that industrial era and we weren't worried about <laughs> right, carbon emissions. Right. And it's and now we're very much concerned about it. But all the other countries that are undergoing that same sort of process now, if you think about it from their perspective, you're thinking, well, you're placing an unfair burden on us because you didn't play by those rules. 
and you enjoy the benefits of industrialization. Our country is trying to get there, but you're putting the brakes on us. So we've got a lot of complicated issues, social, political, economic, uh, environmental, all coming to play in the same space. The hope is that we're able to science our way out of it, both from an energy uh uh, standpoint, how do we deal with the stuff that's already out there and how do we do it in a way that's that's environmentally, economically, politically, culturally responsible? I don't have the answer to that. It's a big question. Uh, and I'm just a dude who sits at a computer <laughs> and does my typey, typey, typey and research stuff. It's I'm I'm glad that we see so much attention going toward it. And I, I am encouraged by the work of various scientists to try and create alternatives to carbon uh, emitting methods of energy generation or electricity generation. It's really should say not energy generation, but to generate electricity. Um, but it's a fascinating subject, one that I thought was important for us to really take a look at. I personally support the work of scientists who want to create energy out of nothing. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I can point you in the direction of several blogs. <laughs> All right. So uh, for those of you who are interested in real science or you have questions about how something is going to be in the future, you've got uh, you, or you've got comments on this. Perhaps you're someone who works in this field and you have your own insight into it. We would love to hear from you. Please email us. Our address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. At Twitter, we are FW Thinking. If you put FW Thinking in the little search bar on Facebook, our profile should pop right up. You can leave us a message there. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.